Hope everybody's doing pretty good today. Um, I just want to speak to uh, Christians for a second. If you're not a Christian, you can tune out. That's all right. Um, just, you know, get on Facebook, check in, something like that. Uh, so Christians, if you have been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably heard that you are supposed to share your faith in some way. And if you're like a normal human being, this conjures up some anxiety because you think like, oh man, I can just envision a conversation, like a train wreck of a conversation if I go to work and, you know, we're at lunch and, and I just somehow awkwardly bring up Jesus and it's just going to be weird. And, and, or maybe I have a longtime friend and if I just introduce, you know, hey, you really should go to church or you really should learn about Jesus, they're going to be like, I don't know, uh, that's weird. And all of a sudden you're going to put distance in your relationship. And so I think most of us like go through, we envision scenarios like that, and then we say, you know, it's just not worth it. It's not worth whatever relational conflict or relational risk uh, there's going to be because there's so many questions. What do I say? Is it the right moment? Will they respond negatively and just make the whole thing weird? So what we often do, and you may be an exception to this rule, but most of us, what we do is we just end up not bringing it up at all. Because maybe in the back of our mind, we're always like, you know, I'm going to wait for the right moment. And 30 years later, the right moment hasn't, you know, exhibited itself in that relationship. So we end up not doing anything at all. So we have this burden to tell people about our faith with Christ. And yet we have this weird sort of anxiety or fear or whatever. And so we end up not really doing anything at all or maybe kind of like doing it in, in a really a subtle way, so subtle that they don't even notice, you know. Um, we did a survey last week and most people responded when they were thinking in terms of their excuses. Of, of sharing their faith, most people responded, my excuse is I just kind of like sit back and hope people will notice something different about me and ask me about my faith. And I can think we can confidently say that that doesn't happen all that often because you're not having a ton of conversations about your faith. May say something about your life, I don't know. May say something about them, I don't know. All right. Christians, we understand that that's a little bit of a dilemma, that's a little bit of a problem. We tried to talk about that last week, how God's behind the scenes and kind of making things happen. All right, now everybody, you can come back in and we're going to talk a little bit about this idea. And even if you're not a believer, even if you're not a follower of God, you've probably run into a dilemma where you really wanted someone to like something, you really wanted somebody to do something or enjoy something, and you put a lot of time and effort into making them, hoping that they would enjoy it, and they just didn't, they didn't. You, you know, it was a restaurant or a movie or a book. I remember making a restaurant recommendation to someone here at church, and I'm like, this is the best place. It's got the best pizza. You're going to go there, and you're going to be so happy. Like, your life is going to change forever. I may have oversold it a little bit. It may have created uh, high expectations. They went there, and they're like, that's the worst pizza we've ever had. Well, you're wrong, and we cannot be friends anymore. What is wrong with you? And I think, so it doesn't matter really what it is. We're all sort of evangelists for something. We want to make converts of people for something, whatever it is. And we're talking about in our relationship with God what it means to share our faith and deal with that, that anxiety, that fear, those struggles, those questions. Um, so what we're going to ask ourselves today is rather than nothing, why don't we do something? Rather than nothing, why don't we do something? 
There's a TV show called How It's Made, and it's, uh, it's kind of a documentary. Um, my son, my five-year-old son, Liam, really is interested in how things are made, and so we would look up these YouTube videos. I mean, it could be anything. It could be boats or paper clips or carpeting, like anything. You're just super curious. I think I told you the story of one time he's sitting on the stairs, and he's like, all right, Dad, can we look for a video for how people are made? And I'm like, no, <laughs> we cannot... That is not going to be something we look up. <laughs> there are lots of videos, but we're not going to look for them. But there are, uh, there are some episodes of this, like, you know, how it's made. It's fascinating, right, if you have any, like, and, and these are, like, everyday, mundane, commonplace objects, right? So, like, literally, it can be, like, toilet paper. And you watch this, and you're like, wow, that's fascinating. I didn't know there was so much complexity that went into making toilet paper, you know? And the next time you use the bathroom, you're like, I sure appreciate you, toilet paper, because you have been on a journey to get to where you are today, and it's amazing. Like, these, these are amazing. Now, there are some episodes I don't recommend watching. Uh, for example, the hot dog episode, as you can imagine, the big piles of brown goo are not as appetizing as you would think. And I want to eat hot dogs. I don't want to think about how the journey they took to get to that bun. I just want to eat them, right? Um, there, there, was a, there was another one I thought was funny as we were looking up these videos. And the, it was how it's made eggs. Eggs. You know, like eggs, E-G-G-S, eggs. Spoiler alert, it's chickens. <laughs> I watched the video because I'm like, surely there's something more to it. Nope, just lots of chickens. All right, that one was so interesting. But there was one, I, I, we watched how paper cups are made. Paper cups, right? We go get our coffee on Sunday morning, we put it in a paper cup, no big deal. We don't even think about the paper cup unless the paper cup's not working as a paper cup should work. But it is incredible the journey that all of the, the ingredients and the parts and the, the assembly line that put this paper cup together. It's, an, it's super amazing. It's like mind-boggling. The paper, and they source it from these other countries, and the glue, and you're just like, wow, this paper cup is actually pretty amazing. And I'm probably going to throw it away here in a few minutes. But it is, it is pretty incredible how it's made. You get to see behind the scenes, and it's kind of mind-boggling for just something simple because you're seeing this grander, broader scale of what actually happens to, to create this one thing. It's amazing. I'm going to come back to that, how it's made, in just a second. But I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 8. Acts, chapter 8. There's a story that I think it's going to be worthwhile for us to read because I, it's talking about sharing our faith. But I think when we read stories like this, we get a little, um, maybe a little discouraged. Because you read in the New Testament, you read in the book of Acts that there were these 12 followers of Jesus and then this just Christianity thing exploded. People were sharing their faith like crazy and why can't we do that and why aren't things like that today? And so we want to read this and we want to understand a little bit of what's going on. Acts chapter 8 verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip is our main character in this little story, this little movie, Philip. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the, the road, the desert road. He needed a little bit of clarification. Go to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, you don't get angels speaking to you every day so you know something is up, right? This is significant. The angel has given me an address and I need to go to this address. Doesn't give him any other details. Just says, go to this road, this desert road. 
All right, Philip does it. Angel says to do it. Yeah, I think most of us would. Verse 27. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch and an important official in charge of all the treasury of the queen. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. If you are under a certain age and you don't know what a eunuch is, I'll let your parents explain that to you some other time. An Ethiopian, you can look up a video how it's made. Eunuchs, don't do that. (laughs) This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So he has a background, a relationship with God. He has something, some connection. And we, as people who are reading this story unfold, we've read enough stories to kind of see what might be happening. We see Philip, and he's been told to go to this road, and now we see this Ethiopian official, and we can kind of see, oh, there's a tale of two stories, and they're converging. Something's going to happen here. Yeah, we, we start to get that. Verse 28, this, this Ethiopian official is on his way home. He was sitting in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Oh, okay, this guy's just come back from worshiping God. He's reading the book of Isaiah. Man, this is, all right, something's happening here. He's kind of primed. He's interested in God, interested in the Bible. Uh, Something's going to happen. Verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, we don't always, like, actually envision how things unfolded in the Scripture. Because we read it, and it's a story, it's interesting. But think about how this might have looked. Because this is the, the, what I like to think about a little bit. Philip is like, he's on the road. He sees this entourage, because it's an important official. Bunch of chariots, bunch of people, probably some guards, probably, you know, just, just the entourage, right? And then the Spirit says, go to that chariot there uh, and stay near it. So the chariot's moving along at a pretty good clip. So I'm envisioning... Philip has to start jogging alongside this chariot. That's what I envision. I don't know exactly what this is like, but Philip's jogging along next to this chariot, all casual-like, I guess, as you do, you know, just jogging along there. And, uh, and he says, hey, uh, what are you reading? <laughs> What's that book you're reading? Now, just imagine the, this scenario. This is like an awkward conversation, right? You're driving along. Maybe your wife is in the passenger seat reading, and some stranger comes running up to you next to the passenger window, knocks on the window. You roll it down like, hey, what you reading there? This is not the time and a place for like a, 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 a normal conversation like this. This is, this is different. There's something different going on. He says, uh, do you understand what you're reading? And the, the, the Ethiopian says, no, I can't. how could I understand what I'm reading, which is a very honest thing to say because the Bible can have some parts of it that are pretty complex. How, how can I understand this? So this guy is totally into a spiritual conversation. He invites Philip up into the chariot, and in verse 35, then Philip began with the very passage of scripture that he was reading and told him the good news about Jesus. This is so cool when you think about that. Here's this Ethiopian. He needs Jesus, right? He knows about God. He's reading the Bible, but he needs Jesus. And so because of this grand, vast conspiracy of grace, God has put all these puzzle pieces together, and he's brought this guy right up until the very verse he needs to read for Philip to come in and say, well, let me tell you about that Jesus. Like, I mean, he, it is a softball, and he's given it to Philip to hit a home run. I mean, this is like, this, everything is perfectly set up for Philip to do his thing, for Philip to share his faith. It's just, I mean, everything's looking perfectly good. And then there's more. In verse 38, they talk about this scripture a little bit. Philip explains it because he, he has the historical background. He knows about Jesus. He's been around Jesus. And then he gets to this point in verse 38. He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water and Philip baptized him. I mean, it's like the bow. It's the, it's the, the, the cherry on top of the Sunday. The bow on the, I mean, everything's perfect. 
I mean, I, it, yes, this is exactly what it would be. Like, this is, if everything could go perfectly, 100% smoothly, we would always share our faith like this. If, if the Spirit of God was literally like with a neon sign pointing at someone saying, share your faith with this person at this moment, we would be like, sure, I'm in. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, this story could not have gone better. And you read stories like that, and you're like, it's a little unrelatable for me. Because that's not how I feel, like it works in my life. And everything just, he's baptized and it's perfect. And the Ethiopian goes on his way and Philip goes on his way. They've both got this, in, this incredible story to tell their kids and grandkids. Well, well, Philip has a story. The eunuch probably, he'll just tell his friends, I guess. If, if things were like this, I would share my faith more. I would be like, this, that's incredible. If God just set the, 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 the tee ball up for me and I could take a crack at it, yeah. But it doesn't feel like things are like this when it comes to sharing faith in my life. Here's the point I want to make by reading that story. Is when we read that story, we're getting to watch a version of how it's made. The Bible is pulling back the curtain... And it's letting us see the inner workings of what God is doing in the lives of people in a way that we rarely get to see. We're watching an episode of How It's Made Christian. And God is saying, look, I brought this guy. He's got faith. I gave him a Bible. I put him in a chariot. I put him at this address. And you talk to him. We're getting to see details that we don't normally see. But I want to submit this idea that even when we can't see the details, God is still conspiring to draw people to himself. Even when you don't get to peek behind the curtain, these types of things are still happening because we believe that God is working in the lives of people to draw them to himself. We believe that. And if we don't believe that, then we got to start there. We believe that God is working in the details of people's lives to draw them to himself. I told you the story of my grandfather uh, last week. He happened to be in the right line behind the right person at the right time. Do you think there were just a bunch of coincidences that happened? Or was God orchestrating something so that my grandfather would have an opportunity to find faith? And after I told that story last week, other people were like, that same thing happened to my uncle, my aunt, my grandfather. Happened to me. Like, God is conspiring to draw people to himself. Right here, right now, in 2018, January 14th of 2018, God is still conspiring to draw people to himself. Do you believe that? Now, this is where we got to get serious, because I'm not sure that we all believe that. I think some of us feel like, well, this was another era. This was another time. Just in the same way, we don't see Moses parting the Red Sea. We don't see Jesus walking on the water. We don't see bread and loaves turning into hundreds of meals. This was a different era. This was a different time. Maybe God isn't working the same way. But here's the deal. If you have come to faith, it's because God was working in that same way. If you have a relationship with God, it's because God was working in that same way in your life or in the life of your parents or in the life of your grandparents. I was thinking about this, uh, you know, we talk about testimonies and uh, some people have these amazing testimonies. They're like, I, things like, you know, I was born and raised in the mafia and then something happened and just these incredible, you're like, wow, it's amazing. I wish I had a testimony. My testimony is I was born and my parents went to church all the time and I got baptized. Pretty exciting. But you know what? I have an incredible testimony. I have a legacy of faith through my parents and my grandparents. My dad has a fascinating story. That is part of my testimony. 
That is part of my coming to faith. God startled you there. Woke you up just a little bit with that. That's right. Yeah, keep that up, Chris. Make sure people are in it. <clears throat> Even if we don't see how it's made, God is still putting the right people in the right places to draw people to himself. And sometimes you are the right people. Sometimes this is you. Sometimes you are Philip. Is that me, Chris? That's me? Am I doing something wrong? All right, I'm, I'm just going to, we'll, we'll pretend it's not happening. I'm going to keep going. I want to tell you something. This is, uh, I, may, I was a little nervous about making this point, um, and so I, I just want you to hear clearly and not have too much static in my microphone because this is one of those things that could be so easily misunderstood that people could hear this and just be mad at me forever. How could you be mad at me forever? That's not, look at this face. You couldn't be mad at me. I'm, I'm just kidding. But it is an important thing that I want to say because I want to clear up what I think is a fundamental misunderstanding in the way that we relate uh, to sharing our faith in this world. And it's this. It is not our job to draw people to Jesus. Boom. Lead balloon. Yep, that's how I thought that would be received. It is not our job to draw people to Jesus. It is our job to work with the Spirit who is drawing people to Jesus. This is a fundamental difference in the way that we think. Now, some of you are like, that's a distinction without a difference. What, is the, what, who, what does it mean? It means that God is already working, and it is not our job to create something from scratch. It's our job to figure out what God is doing and work with him in doing that. Now, this is going to be important because as we talk about what that looks like, the difference that looks like, I think this has the potential to alleviate so many of those fears and worries and anxieties that we have with sharing our faith. We need to understand this. We are accomplices with the Spirit in the conspiracy of grace. I wrote that and I was like, that's pretty good, Patrick. I did, you know, I, I feel like the Spirit guides my study and my thoughts, but I thought that's pretty good. We are accomplices with the Spirit in the conspiracy of grace. We are not the masterminds, we are not the puppeteers, we are not pulling the strings. We are accomplices with the Spirit in the conspiracy of grace. Every once in a while, I'll take my wife out on a date because I'm a nice guy, a good husband. And uh, occasionally I'll do something that I do not want to do, uh, because I'm a nice guy. I went and took my wife to see uh, Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2. I have never seen any of the Twilight movies, and I went in with low expectations, and we watched that movie, and I came out. It was even worse than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but I love my wife. So we, uh, a while back, we went to a cooking class. Cooking class, okay, you know, cooking class. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking... This is the biggest racket in the world. Because you are paying someone to make your own food. That is nuts. I will give you money, and then I will make my own food and eat it. What? That doesn't make any sense. It's how my wife feels about, like, running marathons or 5K. She's like, let me get this right. You're going to give somebody money so that you can just run around. Do you realize that you can do that anytime for free? <laughs> Completely free. We live in a country where they said you can just run around for free. You don't have to pay anybody any money. So I'm going to pay somebody money so that I can cook and eat my own meal. I, what? Let me tell you, it was awesome. 
It was awesome. And, and here's why. First of all, uh, everything is measured out for you and put in little bowls and little serving spoons and everything. Everything's just perfectly laid out for you. You don't even have to think about anything. I don't know how to cook. We made the, the, the date night we went to was American steak night. I, you know, you're like, I know how to make a steak. You don't know how to make a steak like this. I'm telling you. We put some stuff together. They made some sort of French dessert. I couldn't pronounce it when he said it to us, and I still can't pronounce it now, but it was delicious. I made some French gourmet dessert. I did that. And they put all the ingredients out. And then on top of that, all you have to do is listen to the chef. And he says, now pour this thing in. Don't pour this in first. Pour this in second. Stir it this way, counterclockwise, at a 45-degree angle. And it just makes all the difference in the world. I would never know to do that sort of thing. And then I think probably the best part is they clean it up for you. I'm willing to pay for that. That sounds good. You should take your wives on a date to a cooking class. It was fantastic because everything is just laid out. Everything is just perfectly. I think what you're paying for is a sense of accomplishment, really. I think that's what you're paying for. But it's perfect. It's, they clean up everything. I think that is more of a vision for what it's like to share our faith than anything else. The Spirit is organizing, measuring, guiding, directing, and he just needs us to follow the steps that he's laid out for us. He just needs us to do what he's asking us to do. All right, that's fine. That sounds good. What does that practically mean? I mean, the Spirit in Acts chapter 8 give, gave Philip a street address. Like if, if a spirit, if the Spirit of God or an angel of the Lord came to me and said, hey, Patrick, I need you to go to 527 East North Street, whatever, right? And this person, and go there at 11, and they're going to want to be baptized. I will go there. I will do that. But it doesn't happen like that for us. So what does this practically mean that we are an accomplice of the Spirit? Let me just offer one sentence broken down into two parts. This is what I believe it practically means is what if you worried less about you when it comes to sharing your faith? What if you worried less about you? Because this is what I do, and I'm assuming this is what a lot of people do. I sometimes think that if I say just the right thing, or if I have just the right argument, or make just the right point, then I will have an impact on somebody's life. Or, conversely, if I happen to say just the wrong thing at just the wrong time and I don't make the right point, then it all comes crashing down and they become an atheist or whatever my deepest, darkest fear for them is. So it's safer just to be quiet because I don't know exactly what to say, what to do, when to say it. And what if they ask me a question I can't answer? That's happened quite a bit. Try to share your faith with somebody and they're like, well, I will listen to you if you can answer me this question. I remember this happened to me in, I used to work at Denny's on the overnight shift. And you meet the most amazing people at 3 a.m. at a Denny's in a small town. Just incredible people. Full of intellectuals that just got out of the bar because it closed and they're hungry and a little bit drunk. <laughs> but I remember talking to this guy early in the morning, probably 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Just... You know, hey, I, I'm at, I, this is when I was in Bible college. I go to Bible college. And, and he's like, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, you go to Bible college? Yeah, yeah, I do. So you're smart about God. Well, at the time I thought I was. Yeah, pretty smart about God. Go to Bible college. And he's like, well, answer me this question. And he literally says this. You've heard this before. He says, God's all powerful, right? Yeah, he's all powerful. Well, can God create a rock so big that God can't lift it? Uh, I don't understand the question, but I don't know how to answer that. 
And it was as if this guy was setting me up and saying, if you can answer this question, it was like a test. If you can answer this question, then I'll become... That's not what he was doing at all. He was just... He had some sort of logical thought process. That's a ridiculous question, by the way, if, you've, if you're wondering about it. Can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it? Some of you are like, oh, I don't get it. Yeah, it's, it's a nonsense question, and I didn't know it at the time. But I felt like I didn't have the right answer, and that guy goes off and lives his life as, as an atheist, and it's all my fault because I couldn't answer that one question. That is not how it works. You need to worry less about you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it's not on the screen, but I just want you to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, guided and led by the Spirit to talk to the people in Corinth. And he says this, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. He's trying to lay the groundwork for them. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. I didn't come with these incredible arguments that nobody could deny. I didn't come with amazing words and stand up in front of everybody and just blow them away by my speech. He goes, as I proclaim the testimony about God, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He goes, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message was not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. The Spirit created this moment, and I stepped in and was obedient to it. What if we paid less attention to us? What if we worried less about you and paid more attention to the Spirit? And this is what I think this might look like. It's that we are going about our lives, but closer to the forefront of our minds is asking ourselves the question, is this an Ethiopian eunuch opportunity? Is this a Philip opportunity? Is, is the Spirit putting someone in front of me right now for me to have a conversation with? Am I paying attention to what the Spirit is doing? Am I paying attention to where the Spirit is leading? Imagine with me if you went about your life thinking about that thought. Do we always get to see behind the scenes and see exactly what God is doing? No. But we can pay attention to people in a way that asks ourselves, are we part of this grand conspiracy to draw people to faith? Maybe this isn't just another conversation. Maybe this isn't just another person. Maybe there's something bigger going on here. And I think if we believe God is truly working behind the scenes, and if we believe that we are part of that grand conspiracy, it calls us to be more aware of the people around us, more loving because we have an opportunity to share our faith and listen, more bold Because I know sometimes we want God just to send them to us and ask us questions, but we as believers have to be bold in sharing our faith. The apostles were with Jesus and they prayed for boldness. Please pray that I would be bold to speak about Jesus as I should.